The InStuff podcast is sponsored by ScratchBand. Just stop touching your face. Don't make me explain why anymore. It's gross. I don't care if you buy ScratchBand or come up with some other way to do it, but just quit. I mean, it's the easiest way I've found to quit touching my face, but, you know, whatever works for you. ScratchBand, join the evolution. More information at scratchband.life, also available on Amazon.com. You're like looking at your watch. Are we done yet? Um, it's not. Are we done yet? It's are we done with the preparing that we can get into this because this is an exciting topic for today. I'm glad you're excited because I feel like I have very little to say about this. about fame. Yes. <laughs> is it every time I say fame? Does do you hear? I want to live forever. <laughs> I do. I hear that theme song to the TV show. <laughs> Can't say. Well, that is our topic for today, fame. And uh, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this because um, I'm uncomfortable with the fact that I have wanted to be famous for the vast majority of my life. I'm uncomfortable with this topic because I'm semi-famous in the community and I feel super weird even suggesting that because whenever people are like oh you're Fairbanks famous I'm like no I'm not Fairbanks famous <laughs> which is something people say because in how, Fairbanks. Do you, how do you define that anyway Fairbanks famous I think is uh, people will probably get that I'm sure every yeah. town has their own local famous but it's you know it's base. it's like the weather person on TV who's been doing it for 30 years or whatever like everyone in that town knows that person but they all know that only though they know that person, so they understand that that person is famous here, but not anywhere else in the world, and that's a very different thing. You know, like knowing the AM radio host. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like knowing the AM radio host, right? Which you bring up because I was an AM radio host. Well, sure. It's not all about <laughs> you, Rob. <laughs> that's, but it is. It's about fame. <laughs> <laughs> and I want it to all be about me. This is why you picked this topic. Yes. Well, I picked it because I think it's it's very I think it's a very it's very interesting to me because it's something many people seem to want and some some I've seen suggest that even people who say they don't want to be famous actually secretly do want to be famous in some way but Kristen does okay. not <laughs> allow me to be the counterpoint she shakes her head this. she does not want to be famous so okay no. I'll be interested in digging into that some more <laughs> but so many people want this and seem to go to such incredible lengths to achieve it yet there's so much evidence that it's a pretty miserable thing when you get it I mean you talk to famous people and they're like oh it's terrible you know I hate it like I now can't ever have any private time and right. everything you do is public yet they also seem so desperate to hold on to it interesting so it's it's ironic and counterintuitive in so 
many ways that I think it's, it makes for an interesting topic. Yeah. Well, what I like to do is first ask how your, how was your last week? Oh, <laughs> it's just, oh, <laughs> that's all. I'm just going to stop right there. Yet for, <laughs> I think every single episode where I've asked you about your week, it's always like, well, there's a hundred things I can't tell you <laughs> that we already talked about that are not for public consumption. Is there anything we got dumped on with snow? We got a lot of snow. Um, also, the 64th Parallel show is going on at the gallery in town, which is nice. And I have a piece in there. Oh, okay. I'm excited about that. All right. Which piece? There you go. It's a... Uh, hmm, I don't think that you've seen it. It's um, scavenge and reclaimed steel. Hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of an assemblage of things. Does it look like something? It does. It kind of... It does. I'll have to show you a picture because I could explain it, but I'm just really not prepared to. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. You need to work on your elevator pitch for your artwork. I know. My head totally wasn't there. And <laughs> suddenly I, here I find myself. Well, I had an exciting week because I put in a new toilet. It works and... great, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> what... The funny thing is, like, when I achieve things like this, I want someone to, like, have... A, I want someone to have a little parade for me. <laughs> because I figured out toilets. It's so far from what my family would do growing up. And I've, you know, basically been largely self-taught or with a little bit of watching other people work. So when I put it in, I just feel like I've accomplished this super heroic feat. And yet my daughter's just like, nice job. <laughs> so i have to call my mom and be like mom guess what <laughs> i put her in a toilet think, she's like wow you're yeah. amazing <laughs> the biggest achievement to me of putting in a new toilet is the reality of throwing away the old toilet yeah which i still have to do <laughs> really yeah it's on the front porch right now oh i didn't see it when i, that's when a I little came bit, in that's a little bit of a tricky thing but at least now it's all frozen so it won't be sloshing like it was when I when I slept it out onto the porch. Oh gosh! <laughs> Anyhow, That's terrible. Um, yeah, I was just amazed that for a hundred bucks you can get a brand new toilet. It made me think, like, why do I go through the trouble of cleaning the toilet? Why don't I just replace it every year? You're kidding me, right? <laughs> you get a brand new one. Cleaning the toilet's a lot of work removing a toilet is a lot of work and you actually are just way up close and personal with the old toilet that's true you are you are in a deep romantic embrace with that thing <laughs> <laughs> that's that is correct but it's oh. if done right like if i did it every year i'd get good at it i could probably do it in 45 minutes or so <laughs> and how much time would i spend cleaning the toilet like 10 minutes five i will say five minutes a week I'm ahead by quite a bit. You need a toilet removing I need, robot. I need a robot cleaning toilet <laughs> tool. I need a toilet cleaning robot. That's the order of those A robotic words. toilet seat? Which exists, and we talked about them, and apparently they kind of stink, but um, <laughs> no, no pun, pun intended. <laughs> oh, man. You can't talk about toilets without just a million accidental puns. But oh as I told you, I, did, I couldn't sleep Friday night, so... Uh, in the middle of the night, what I do when I can't sleep is I, I worry, like my mom does. <laughs> I inherited that from her. 
And I was worrying about how I'm going to keep my toilet clean because it's so nice now. <laughs> and I don't want it to get horrible like the last one. Like, and then I literally laughed out loud that that's what's keeping me awake at night. How, how could I'm you gonna keep even my toilet worry clean. about cleaning your toilet? Because though. it's the middle. Well, it's the middle of the night and it's not rational. It's like my mom would wake up in the middle of the night and worry about me becoming an alcoholic because I really liked drinking dirty monkeys <laughs> when we were at that resort in Mexico. And that but, made me laugh out loud. Like, I, mom, alcohol comes to my house for sanctuary. Like, I have beer in my house that's literally been here like five years because oh I don't want to drink it. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Too bad it's not wine. Anyhow, so I had success installing a new toilet. I like it. It's a little bit higher, which is great. Particularly because you were tall. Person. Yes. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy. And it's got the dual flush, which mm -hmm. is awesome too. It is. So anyway. It's peppy when you flush it. It's just like. Zip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is, that's an important thing. It is. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to, no one wants to flush a reluctant toilet. <laughs> <laughs> how, how in the world did I we end up here? I guess I'll take care of this for you again. <laughs> Ugh. Always doing your dirty work. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> That's an image for you. Let's talk about fame. And so I want to talk about with my, my personal struggle with it first. <laughs> it I can't like even. Something I've, that started in the last two or three weeks is I make myself laugh so hard. It started with a, the podcast we did a, a couple weeks ago. Wait, you made yourself made, laugh? Or you made me laugh. Somehow I... I laughed so hard that I got lightheaded. What were we talking about? I don't remember, but it was, I talked about how it made me lightheaded in that <laughs> podcast episode. And that keeps happening, which I guess is a sign that I'm laughing a lot, which is great. Or maybe you're just getting old. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. How can you laugh yourself into, I, it's probably because of that breathing thing you made me do totally screwed up my blood flow. You opened up your nasal passageways. No, I still am a little clogged on the right side. Gross. Anyhow, um, so for me, the idea of the value of fame came when I believe it was my mom made a kind of offhanded remark in the car one time when me and my younger sister and my dad were all in there together. I'm going to put the blame on her that, but it might've been my dad. Um, she said, Rob, although she would have used my nickname, which I'm too embarrassed Wait, say. no, you have to say what it is now. What is it? Boo. boo. <laughs> you were so not a boo. I know. It's a long story. But she would have said something or some variation. We have a lot of weird nicknames for each other. Um, you're our only hope for knowing someone famous. And I am firstborn and um, the son and... Growing up in, you know, the 80s and 90s just felt like the mantle was upon me to bring prestige and honor to the family name. You had to be successful. I had to be successful and I had to follow <clears throat> the, the successful life path, which meant, you know, getting through college in, in four years, getting a prestigious job, getting married, no having pressure. a kid, all this stuff was all expected and comments were made if any part of that was not followed or 
were, you know, you could see when other people didn't follow that, like there was a sort of hmm amongst the family. So many things wrong with that. Yeah. I love my, my parents. They were fantastic. But. Well, just that mindset. I'm not, nothing against your parents because, mm-hmm. you know, if they had that to give to you, 100%. Yeah. However, like you should be able to pick your future. Yeah. Well, it worked well for them anyway. <laughs> so that was just meant as like a joke. But as a kid, you don't receive a lot of uh, missions <laughs> <laughs> for your life. <laughs> and so I took that on like this is this is one of the rare times my parents have expressed any sort of opinion about how I should wow what I should be aiming for. You heard it as in a my call life. to action. And to me it was a call to action. Wow. And so I took that very seriously. And in high school I got involved with the TV station and had my own TV show senior year and so was already trying to build a name for myself there and get in front of people. I was never interested in plays and that kind of stuff, but um, TV was my was my going to be my outlet to becoming famous. So from childhood, you wanted to be famous. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. And I remember the first time I got recognized by a stranger was in East Lansing by, I believe, a college student who recognized me because there were like maybe one or two episodes of my TV show that aired relentlessly on <laughs> educational access. <laughs> so if you had cable, like you you eventually would probably have seen this show. And it was, it was called The Rob Prince Show, of course. Of and it was course. basically like skits and interviews. And... Walking down the street, had this dude genuinely excited to see me and recognize <laughs> me in front of my family. Oh. And it was the weirdest thing because you're like, is this dude serious? And super strange and kind of flattering, but at the same time kind of scary, especially as, you know, I guess it would have been like a 18-year-old at the time. You, act, you had to confront your fame for the first time. It was the first time that I was recognized okay yes and then went to college and had a segment of a tv show that I, I was producing a tv show but i wasn't actually on it and then had a college just closed circuit tv thing where i was i did a segment of a show on that and got recognized at the cafeteria one time hang on i need to get comfortable i just realized this is gonna be a show all about you (laughs) oh my gosh okay well it's about fame we'll get to you in a minute no (laughs) so that was the second time i was famous recognized and that was it's it's like just a thrill it's just like a little adrenaline shot every time it happens so interesting you're getting like that little dopamine hit then Mm -hmm. okay you're like, wow, I'm important. Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm more important than the people around me. It's kind of that vibe that you get. Like, I stand out. So then, in my continuing quest to get famous, I went to work for a famous guy in Chicago called Bill Curtis, who was a famous news reporter in Chicago, and had a bunch of shows. Basically, if you watched A and E in the '90s, especially on a Saturday. It was like all Bill Curtis. Okay. And he's the guy who does the voice for 
um, Anchorman with Will Ferrell. Oh. Um, I don't know if you ever actually see him in the movie. I've only seen the first one. But he's the one who's got, like, the deep voice. And, yeah. And blah, blah, blah. That's Bill Curtis. And oh, so I wasn't okay. famous, but I was working for a famous guy who knew me. And so I had a... I, <laughs> one of the things they say, you might you might be from Michigan if you never met anyone famous. You have a bacon score of and one. Now I've met Bill Curtis, <laughs> and I could introduce my family to him when they came. So I felt like I could introduce. Now I had this connection to fame. He'd interviewed Hillary Clinton. I know it was one interview he did, and he was just all over Annie. So he's legit okay. famous. I remember getting a taxi ride to work one time and telling him where I worked and the guy's like, Oh wow, Bill Curtis, say hi to him for me, you know? Hmm. So he's famous guy. And I worked there because I thought if I could get my names in the credit name in the credit of a nationally distributed show that that would start to mean that I was famous, but that sucked. That job sucked. I hated it. <laughs> and that's when I first sort of realized that jobs that seem cool and have a lot of cachet aren't always that fun. So I went on to other things, worked in television some more, still not really achieving fame, but continued to pursue it without really knowing why or liking what it took to achieve. To be famous, you got to go out and be in front of people and, and do kind of stressful things you mm -hmm. know and all i really wanted to do was sit on the couch with my cat and read a book <laughs> so it was very interesting to me that there were these two parts there was the the part that was drawn to make a name for myself and get recognized and feel like i'm important and there's the part of me that just wants to be anonymous and never have to talk to anybody is that duality because at heart you're an introvert or do you consider yourself an extrovert? No, I'm definitely an introvert. Okay. So that's part of it. Um, and there's also an element of if I'm famous, then I can show the people who have wronged me that I'm better than them. What is that? It's just a kind of revenge thing. Like how else do you get even with people who've wronged you? I forget about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, Seriously. A, that's a healthy way to do it. <laughs> So anyway, what was, what was interesting was, you know, like I started the storytelling program in here and started to get like hundreds of people coming to shows and get a little bit recognized and, but it still didn't feel like I had quite passed a threshold very much. And then in January, the New York Times picked Dark Winter Nights as one of the best winter podcasts. And my mom... Which is a big deal. Which is a huge... It's just like about the best deal. I mean, I guess they could have picked us as the best podcast of all time, but I'll take winter because it's always winter <laughs> somewhere, right? In Alaska so mostly. I'm always the best podcast. <laughs> Either right now, it's in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> well, not yet. It's not legally, technically winter here. It feels like it's winter. It's, it's barely autumn. But, uh, so what's funny is when that happened, I called up my mom, of course, and she was super excited cause she's wonderful. 
And I was like, now am I famous? Now can I stop trying to be famous anymore? Like, have I achieved this thing, that this gauntlet that you put down before me? You asked her this question? <laughs> I did. Wow. I said, am I now famous so I could stop trying to be famous? And she's like, yes, you are now, you've achieved fame in my book. <laughs> you can go on and do other things. It would have been more funny if she said, what are you talking about? I know. <laughs> I'm sure she had no recollection of ever oh, saying no. that. It was not something that she really cared about, but it did seem like something that, was talked about a little bit. And so I was like, okay, this is great. But then I was a little bit at a loss. Like, what do I do now? This mission that I've had for at least 30 plus years, I've accomplished. Now what do I do? And so I was kind of like, well, I don't know. I guess start a business or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what do people do? Yeah. But um, then part of this is all a little bit, being clouded by covid because covid means you can't go out can't go to parties and so you don't get recognized because you're not going anywhere then I, I went to a party a few weeks ago and i just i felt like and some some of these were people that i already knew but i felt it felt different it felt like people wanted to talk to me and cared about what i had to say <laughs> And I, and that was new to me. <laughs> Everybody's been shut in for so long. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it started to feel like, and I knew that some people knew me from the show, but had never met me in person. So this is why I added a little bit more to this, but it, it's, I felt the sense of like, oh, this is like the perks of being Fairbanks famous is that when you go to a party, like you don't have to worry about finding someone to talk to. Like people will come sit next to you, <laughs> you know, people will come up and talk to you. People will be interested in what you have to say. And I was like, this is, this is incredible. And I got that kind of rush again. And I was like, I want more of this. How can I get more of this? Oh my goodness. Especially at a time when we can't do live shows. So it makes it much harder for me to continue to be up in front of people because we're, we're not getting together. So that's a little bit part of what it's, what it's been like to be sort of semi-locally famous. I remember going, going to one party at a house and hanging out with people I'd never um, met before. I was invited by a friend. And as I'm walking up to the house, I see a bunch of Subarus and I'm like, these people will recognize me. <laughs> these are my because people. Because these are the public radio people. <laughs> and it was true. And they were kind of excited <laughs> to I've find out home. it was me. And I told you about the story of kayaking on the river and the woman who had no interest in who I was, wanted to know who my friend was. And then when she found out who I was, she was like, oh, wait, like, I know you from Dark Winter Nights. <laughs> I know your voice. I just don't know what you look like. So anyway, I can see the draw. It's I can see how they compare it to a drug because that that hit is addictive. I mean, what what is it? I mean, don't you want to walk into a place and have people be like, oh, that's Kristen. No. Why not? No. I have zero desire. Can you desire point that mic more? To me? Towards your mouth. There. Beauty. There. Okay. 
<laughs> this is when Kristen's going to get loud, so sorry about that. Go ahead. Okay. I'm not going to get that loud. I'll talk it's, quieter. I just don't want to be uh, front and center in people's attention. That's not, that is not, an, that's not something that I seek ever. But is that because you've already gotten it because you're, well, I'll just be blunt, a tall, attractive woman? You've always <laughs> had attention? I am surprisingly good at not standing out for really? that reason. Yeah, I really don't. Hmm. I <laughs> I just don't want to be the center of attention. I don't want to be recognized for the thing that I'm doing. I just want to be able to do my thing and do it well. And whatever, whatever happens to be, if it's like supporting other people, do it. Usually I like doing things behind the scenes. So that what makes is me it happy. about being in front of people that makes you uncomfortable? I don't feel uncomfortable. I just don't feel the draw to be up front. But you are actively trying to not be upfront. If you didn't care if you were upfront or not, why would you actively work to not be upfront? It's not that I'm actively working to not be upfront. I'm just doing my thing and not trying oh. to vie for a particular position. Okay. This is me being in the world, not putting any effort into being in anybody's focal point or radar or anything like that. Hmm. Because what, what crossed my mind when I was thinking about why maybe you don't care or are not, not only don't care, but actively aren't interested in being famous is that as a kid, it, you may not have struggled with standing out because that's just the way you're made. You have a sort of standout physique about you. I stood out as a kid. Right. Yeah. And I not. I mean, I was tall, but when it came to the places where I wanted to be recognized, I was generally pretty ignored. Fam family gatherings, like my cousin dominated our little kids group. My aunt dominated the adult group because she was so funny. My cousin, because <laughs> she was so fun and funny and just older. Among my friends group, there were always people who were funnier than me or more attractive or something and so i always felt like i was sidelined and i didn't i didn't want to be i wanted to be the one people paid attention to and i saw that the people that got attention were funny and they told great stories well that's interesting and so those are the two things that i zeroed in on and have spent my entire life trying to be as funny as possible and tell the best possible stories <laughs> and that's really worked out well for you just to get attention that's that's my opposite approach to looking for people that i think are interesting mm -hmm. i try not to be up in front and usually the people that are hanging back are the interesting ones yeah yeah that's true and so yeah that's worked for me right <laughs> and i agree with you in that nothing ir irritates me more at a party than someone who clearly wants attention right. but is not offering anything of real substance so, yeah, I agree. I think um, what I, my goal at parties is to be the one who gets all the attention, but it's a positive attention and it's a quiet attention. You know what I mean? In some ways. <laughs> but you're telling stories. But, I mean, at this party that I just went to, I did, like, the first thing I did when I arrived at the party was open up a wine bottle with a shoe 
<laughs> nothing to draw that was real kind attention. of a big splashy entrance <laughs> like, as soon as you came went through the door was the question how do we open this bottle no um it was outside anyway because it's a little bit more covid safe um but no it was just yeah it was, i was just talking with somebody that um i had just met at the party and was like oh you know you can open a wine bottle with a shoe and she was like prove it prove it oh goodness and so everyone got to watch then so <laughs> well i want to talk a little bit about what has what else has driven me to want to become famous and i think drives other people and how like just how inherently unhealthy it seems like a lot of this stuff is it seems stressful and why why it seems like no giant surprise that famous people aren't that happy hmm. a lot of the times. But one, one of the things that I straight up will admit to is wanting to feel there's well, at least I struggle with is, is fame coming from a sense of wanting to feel more important than others? It's a good question. And it's not that I want to feel more important than others. I want to feel more important than the people I think are idiots. <laughs> that for sure. You're not making Regular any person, judgments or anything. When I, if, you know, if you and I are a party together, I don't want to feel any more important than, than you. And in fact, if I sense that someone else might not be feeling important or might not be getting attention, I want to try and bring them into the party and bring them into the conversation. You're going to put all the light on them. Yeah. Which they're probably like, God, <laughs> stop asking me questions. <laughs> I'm trying to go. I'm trying to fly under the radar. Knock it off. So I don't think it's entirely that. No, I'm no, thinking I out loud a little bit. Yeah. But there's also, but there's that kind of element of, I want to feel like I matter, I guess, is part of it. And I, I think that's kind of fundamental to what a lot of people want. They don't necessarily want to be famous, but they want to feel like they matter. I mean, don't you feel like when you're at work, don't don't you want to have the sense like I, I want matter the work here? I do to matter. Right. I don't want to be the thing that matters. Like, okay. I'm one of billions of people on this planet, and that's fine. Okay. Hmm. I just want my effort to be meaningful. I don't need to be anything special. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's. Very humble of you. <laughs> and a normal per a normal person would be ashamed of themselves, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm comfortable with who I am. All my warts. Um, another element, though, of what I, I like about the idea of fame is the idea of bringing joy just by being, just by showing up somewhere. <laughs> you know, when, when like Tom Hanks comes to a grocery store, like a clown. Well, clowns, I think, these days shed more fear than they... Not a scary clown. Um, but sure, like a clown. You know, um, when, a celeb when a beloved celebrity shows up somewhere, people are thrilled. And it's made their day, their week, their month, whatever. Imagine how cool that would be to be able to bring... To make people's day just by showing up. And that's, that is the more selfless part of my draw to fame hmm. i think just wanting to make people happy and especially 
I show up somewhere and they think of me as a big deal. And then I pay a lot of attention to them and I ask them a lot of questions, which is one of my favorite yeah. things to do at a party. Then you can also just make them feel important. Making people feel amazing. important is, a, is yeah. a good thing. And so I feel like that's an, that's an incredibly cool thing you could do if you were famous. But are you saying you'd rather just show up and make people's day? Or would you rather show up and like make animal balloons and then make people's day? You just, just want to be the inherent it's happiness. It's easier to just show up. <laughs> it's a lot of work to show up and then try and make people's day. And you only get to make the people's day of the people you interact with anyway. Okay. And a lot of them... They, don't even care you know it has to be a special situation okay um but isn't that what makes it cool because it's special that's true that's true um but i don't know it reminds <laughs> you it's want like, to take the shortcuts sometimes. it's like the delorean owning a delorean is like being friends with a famous person all I do is pull in somewhere and people are thrilled and they want pictures with it and they're so excited and they can't wait to tell people and oh, so-and-so is going to be so jealous. And <laughs> when I see that... famous person. Like, we know yeah. the behind the scenes. You've shared the behind the scenes of owning a DeLorean. Yeah, it's when it shows up, which it hasn't been showing up anywhere recently because it's <laughs> not starting. Um, but I, that was really interesting to me when I started to experience that with a car of just the fact that this car brings joy just by showing up at the gas station or anywhere just driving down the road people are thrilled to see it imagine if you could do that with yourself oh no and you have no interest in that and i think that would be amazing it's... i would love to walk into a classroom and have all the kids go hey what? sorry just scared my cat and <laughs> want like pictures that and be happy factor. yeah i'd rather have the spotlight on somebody else and what is it yeah. that you don't like about look at me i just i prefer when the spotlight's on other people but are you scared of something no no so it's not the fact that you're worried that you're going to be under greater scrutiny or people are going to notice if you screw up more it's not that i think it's hmm. it's i prefer subtlety okay yeah all right another thing that draws me to the idea of fame is it opens up so many other doors for other things you might want to do so i started dark winter nights and then after a few years the University of Alaska publishing department, the UA Press, yes. approached me and was like, we, we think it'd be cool for you to do a book. Now, they probably come to a lot of people and say, we'd like for you to do a book. We need but, books. But, you know, there was something about like, oh, I see. If you reach a certain level of fame with your project or whatever, people, opportunities just come to you. And yeah, I think it's cool. I've never written a book. I'd love to do that. And this wasn't exactly a book I was writing. It was a book I was editing of our of our stories. So it's not like necessarily stuff, my own writing. It's basically other people's stories. But you had to, yeah. But okay. I have to edit and choose and still. Yeah. So still it's a book with my name on it. And so that's one of the things that gets me excited about fame is like fame can be a key to other things that I want to do. It's not an end in itself. It's a way to do other things I want to do, like open my 80s museum. If I was super <laughs> famous, 
totally could open an 80s museum no problem Granted but because too. i'm not yeah you know and just by the fact that it was me people would come to it you know what i mean it's like guaranteed success it's not that so for i'm going to use dark winter nights as an example it's not that you're you're looking to be in the limelight because dark winter nights really is all about you putting the spotlight on other people to share their stories right so it isn't you being front and center no and that's very intentional because i looking at it from the audience i was like if i came here for a storytelling show and the host was like it's all about me i would be i would be out of there so fast (laughs) that would so annoy me to death so i was like this show my job is to facilitate the storytellers and to get out of their way as much as possible and to just be sort of the glue that holds the show together but you don't spackle with glue you don't build your house with glue you know the house is built with hopefully with wood and i'm just the one who's kind of like keeping it together and so that's that's has been an interesting thing too like how much do i include my own stories in the program how much time do i spend talking in the show and that's that's grown the beginning of the live show has has grown quite a bit mainly because we want to kill time while we wait for late people to arrive not so much but it's also sort of a, a time for me to it strikes me that soak up the spotlight the majority of that your effort in that show though is coaching people to become storytellers yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that's all behind the scenes right yeah and you're right they should be the stars i i don't think any my impression is nobody comes to the show to see me I'm just trying to kind of spice up the show as much as possible in what way I can. You're the greeter, like the, the people right. at the front door. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, there's the, the fame idea of fame opening doors. I just watched a documentary about David Bowie, his last few years of life. And he's in, he's quoted in there as saying that fame is good for getting into exclusive restaurants and getting tickets to exclusive events. But other than that, it's not worth much. Hmm. And I was like, uh-huh. But in that documentary, they talk about this, like, play that he wrote. He, I didn't even know he wrote a play. Yeah, it's some sort of stage performance that he was involved in creating. And I thought, yeah, nobody would have, you never would have been able to make that at that level if you weren't David Bowie. People would not have come to it if you weren't David Bowie. David Bowie is, like, legend-level exactly. recognition. Right. So whatever he did, he could make David Bowie cereal and people would buy it. I would totally eat David Bowie cereal. Exactly. <laughs> I wish now that so, that was a thing. <laughs> to say that fame isn't good for anything except getting into restaurants and tickets to, like, no. Fame allows you to, again, just open up all these doors for other activities that you want to do that otherwise you would never be able to do. Yeah. And I feel like, that's that's one of the things that crossed my mind because I have kind of a five-year retention span. I get really excited about something for five years and then I want to move on to something else. Five years is pretty, I mean, in the grand scheme of people I've watched and their attention spans, five years is decent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be like all in on a project or something like that. And so one of, one of the things that appeals to me about potentially getting famous is like, oh, 
then when I get bored of this one thing and I find some other thing I'm excited about, I have like a built-in audience for it already and I can just go on to the next thing, you know? Um, so that's kind of another element to think about. One thing that's interesting though about fame from the bit of research I've done, like real serious, you know, national, if not international fame is apparently it creates a kind of split between the actual person and their famous persona. Mm. And so this, this kind of struck me when I was watching the Amazon prime documentary Val about Val Kilmer, mm -hmm. which I definitely recommend. I have not seen those. It's very much worth watching. You should have put it in the notes. Before I just today. thought of it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and in it, there's a scene of him signing autographs in some sort of like fluorescent lit convention basement, you know, mm. really unattractive location, just sitting at a plastic folding table with a giant line of people who all want him to sign stuff. And what do they want him to sign? You know, um, like you're a top gun, you know, Iceman, you know, <laughs> they all want him to sign it as if he is the character from top gun. That's, not cool and that creeped me out and that and what it made me realize for really i think for the first time is that he the people he's interacting with don't see him as him who he really is they're in love with this character that he created and was part of that's not him that's just this ephemeral thing that exists in dvds and mm -hmm. online and how weird to have people in love with this proxy instead of you. Yeah. And be so transparent about this interaction is strictly for their benefit. I mean, yeah, they'll go in there and be like, oh, you're great. But they want you to sign this thing so they can show it to their friends. They want a selfie with you so they can show it to their friends. So they can elevate their status. Mm -hmm. They do not care about actually getting to know you. Right. And I remember years ago hearing a celebrity talk about I can't remember unfortunately but i remember he said like don't just like take a picture autograph with me like why are we why are we doing that week when we could have an actual interaction instead of just snap a picture it's kind of like people stealing tiny little micro thefts from you i want your time for a moment just to elevate myself yeah it seems really it, it's not only that it's ephemeral it's cheap it's very cheap. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like a, a yeah, like a micro theft. Yeah. I would say. Um so there there's that element to it. There's a sense of loneliness too, because you don't who can you relate to on all this? Suddenly you're all ever all the attention is on you and nothing on the people around you. Mm-hmm. And so that, yeah, that can definitely feel, lead to a feeling of I am deeply alone. Yeah. That and seems key. And again, I, I met best Fairbanks famous. So I feel uncomfortable chiming in like I know something about this, but I've, I've had that experience before a show, like I'm in the dressing room by myself i'm driving to the location by myself no one else none of my 
friends, you know. You don't show up host, with an entourage? Host massive events. <laughs> I don't have an entourage. Um, and as I'm driving to the, to the event, the last time I remember thinking, look at all these people who just get to have a normal Saturday and just go about their normal lives and have a peaceful, quiet Saturday. And I have to go host this event and entertain like 700 people <laughs> and do it in a awesome way and not screw up anything. Dance, dance. Yeah. It's really <laughs> stressful. And you're sort of like, why did I, why have I put myself in this position? And then afterward, I learned very quickly, don't check your email the day after because you don't get an inbox full of people telling you how great it was. You get an email from someone you telling you what a horrible person you are oh, for a joke you made, typically a joke you made or something that you did wrong or some story you included that they didn't like. Sharpshooters. And what also, what I also learned about being in the spotlight from Dark Winter Nights is people, at least for me, they, they assume that because they came to the event and they applauded that, you know, they enjoyed the show. They don't feel a need to like write you a special note. So when you get those, you're amazed and it's tremendous fuel. Like, okay, <laughs> I'll keep going because most of the time you get nothing or you get hate mail. That's terrible. And so now when, when I see a show, I really enjoy, no, it doesn't even matter if it's, it's a clearly a pretty famous one. Like I assume it could be, they're not getting a lot of, press and so you you want to tell people like you did a really good job you don't you don't want them to just assume you know i no longer assume that the people in the spotlight are getting praised just because there were a lot of people there that's a cool thing and that's something i don't think about hardly ever mm -hmm. i do assume that i like showed up for the thing and i, I gave money therefore it's good mm-hmm but I've also never written at the end of an event that I hated it either. Yeah. <laughs> and that's rude. It is. My favorites were the times I got in trouble from people who weren't even at the event. What? <laughs> <laughs> they heard something I said. Oh, geez. They heard about something I said at the event and it made them furious. That's happened in the past. So, yeah. So I would say it, you know, and to the people listening who maybe have written um, into our podcast or are coming from the dark winter night show and have written to me about that. You know, I get a, I get a fan letter maybe once a month at most, that would probably be a fair amount and it's huge. And I share it with my team and it's very exciting. That's cool. And it really helps you feel like what you're doing is actually doing something. I think it's so. nice if you have a group of people that you're working with, especially. Right. I don't normally ever expect to get fan mail in my email. Like, my life is good without that expectation. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of which, I got a lot of fan mail I need to share with you at some point. I keep forgetting about it. Um, now might be a good time since you had a little bit of a challenging week. But uh, <laughs> the other thing that's interesting about this, and that this kind of dovetails into that, is with, with being in the spotlight, with that fame comes praise but also hatred hmm. and resentment from other people yeah and not necessarily i'm not nearly near at the level of fame where people would be like jealous of of me for it but when you think about 
people who are famous and think about how many people just openly talk about how they hate them. And so celebrities, particularly women, you know, getting just torched online over body image issues or just the fact that we all seem to be drawn to the rise and fall story. Yeah. I'm really drawn to that. Whenever really? it's like the rise and fall of Jeff Bezos, I can't wait for that. But Unfortunately, he's still in the rise part. <sighs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but there's something, you know, that we just love to see the mighty come crashing down. Generally speaking, not, not the like good ones, you know, like the people, like I tried, I thought, I wonder if there's anybody out there who hates Captain Sully. So I actually looked it up because I was like, he's a major figure, you know, there's gotta yeah. be somebody who doesn't like him. I could not immediately find anybody who's like, I hate Captain Sully, but any other actor, <laughs> musician, r- brutal cruel stuff out there that's awful and then people they're people at the end of the day at the end of the day and yes they signed up for this but still really in the sense that you know i'm getting yelled at an email about stuff that other people aren't getting yelled at because they're not doing things publicly Hmm. so that's when you start to just like do the thing in your head we're like okay well nobody beats a dead dog you know, if you're doing something and everybody loves it, you're probably doing something wrong. But it's hard. I, there's definitely been some times where I've had to. There was some something I, I can't remember. I, I printed out for myself about how to handle it, criticism, um, like that, because it's it's tough, especially when you work so hard at something and you get so little positive feedback and. And that positive feedback is not nearly as rewarding as the negative fe- feedback is painful. Right. You, you have know? a lot invested in that effort just to get negative feedback. Right. A hundred complimentary emails barely equals one scathing email. You know, that's what you're going to remember. Ouch. Yeah. Um, but anyway, along those lines, I think the key is to... What I would love to find is the fame sweet spot where you're famous enough that doors will open and treat people will treat you with respect, but you're not so famous that your friends are alienated and you feel alone and it makes you miserable. So that's, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are, who are in that spot, you mm, know, I bet. and that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> you know famous enough that you can show up somewhere you know anywhere in the united states and 50 people will come out (laughs) yeah i think that'd be pretty good it's famous such an uncomfortable thing and i it proved there was a moment once and it's not, I didn't feel, I only felt recognized. Mm-hmm. Like I showed up at a location in town cause I was just running in and running out of a place just to grab something. And on mm-hmm. the way in, like there had been people sitting outside mm-hmm. and I passed a table and somebody at that table was like, I know who that is. And I just wanted like, I, I glanced and I was like, I have no idea who you are. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know nothing about me. And just kept on going. Like, it just seemed really empty. And I was like, meh, whatever. And you so you have no idea how they knew who you were? I didn't care. Because I didn't yeah. know this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
What, what did they look like? Oh, I don't even remember. Wow. That's funny. These are the things I like commit dear diary. Today I was recognized. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy how disgusted you are and how uncomfortable you are with this. You have your arms folded, which isn't necessarily a sign that you're defensive, but it's a sign that you're trying to sort of comfort yourself. Well, honestly, I'm hiding my gut a little bit. Oh. I'm like sitting here yeah, all scrunched up I've, on a couch. I've learned, you know, it used to be when we people had their arms folded, it was supposed to be some sign that they're defensive. But I've right. learned that that's not the case. No. That it's basically sort of a self-comforting slash covering up your gut, apparently. But <laughs> what does, are you repulsed by, you're not necessarily repulsed by fame. You're repulsed by the desire for fame. I'm repulsed. It's not even, a, it's not a repulsion or revulsion or anything like that. I just like my interactions to be genuine I value the people that I spend time with Mm -hmm. and the things that I do with them and that recognition like that I want to put time into Mm -hmm. and even if that is just a small subset of people in the world that's enough for me Mm -hmm. I don't need broader recognition at all Mm -hmm. and so like I said I would prefer that if the things that I do matter that's enough yeah I don't need to matter right I don't know what else to say. That's not entertaining to say. Well, but that's what it, it is a pretty, it's become an, I think, an especially repulsive concept these days because of all the transparent thirst for fame that we see in social media these days, where people just want to be famous for being famous. Well, people, I think, yeah, that's interesting. We have this long tail adoption of social media now that mm-hmm. everybody has access to a device that allows them on platforms that make it easy to share the minutia of their own lives. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting and I still can't quite grasp and it makes me feel old how prolific the number of people <laughs> making videos of themselves talking really has become. Mm-hmm. That it blows my mind and also why is everybody making these videos in their vehicles like are you driving and making videos it's very strange (laughs) (laughs) how come when you get in your car you feel like you have this platform you need to start talking to people it's i think because people in the lower 48 have much longer commutes than we do up here (laughs) you think that's what it is yeah they're spending a lot of time in their car what else are going to do it's such a strange venue well it makes sense from a filming point of view not to get too off track but it's a we're, you know, video is a motion picture industry, so the picture should be moving. And filming in a car has an inherent motion element to it that's interesting to folks. Mm. Plus, there's always a fear you might get rear-ended or whacked or something like that. So yeah. <laughs> it's far more interesting than just sitting on your couch. <laughs> yeah, there's the so many other things that are interesting. I will tell my documentary students if, if, it's, if it makes sense to film an interview in a car. Really? Yeah. It's far more interesting to watch if it's just a it's if it's just a person talking than just sitting in a chair somewhere. It's really dull. So that could be part of it, but okay. Yeah, but anyway, final thoughts on fame. It's definitely like a drug, and I think it's interesting how many famous people get into drugs because I think they they get addicted to the high that fame brings and then you can't 
Yeah. So you just want that feeling more often and you can get that artificially. I feel like there are a lot of movies with this premise. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's happened a fair amount in real life too. It's a bit of a stereotype now. And to me, the real joy in life is not living for yourself. It's bringing joy and helping other people. And so fame is just doomed to lead to depression, I think, because you're not helping anyone really. Unless Unless, there's a way you could twist it. Exactly. Unless you're famous for helping people, which I think is what some people... (laughs) Or you use your, the recognition that you've gained to help people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fame all on its own. Fame for, because I'm beautiful, because I'm rich, because of all these things like that has, is a dead end. But fame, because I've helped so many other people and helped them get through the day. If you've genuinely done that, you know, (laughs) then yeah, all right. But make it about other people. Don't make it about yourself. It, one thing that kind of relates to this, that has struck me recently is all the coverage of the Gabby Petito murder, who is a, I guess, Instagram poster, social media poster, who's putting up all these wonderful videos of her and her fiance driving around in their van and presenting this idyllic life of this attractive young woman and her attractive fiance and how wonderful everything was only to find out, you know, things were terrible And, you know, then she disappeared and her body was found and her fiance is still missing. It made, it just was interesting to me that she was working and how many other people were working so hard to present a perfect version of their life on social media when the reality was so much different. What a tremendous kind of lie that was to the people that she was whose attention she was seeking yeah, and what a disservice it was to them and why it leads to such issues with depression mm-hmm. among young people, especially girls. Right. Because we can all go out and present this perfect version of ourselves and we all know that people are doing it, but still somehow there's part of us that thinks it's real. There's that. And I think when you're going to share something with somebody, you want to share the highlights. Right. You're not going to share, like, I like you're not going to share the minutiae of the day because it's, it's like telling a boring story. But seeing that a place where everybody is sharing highlights does become a lot to absorb. It's unrealistic. That's true. And the opposite is no fun either. I think if you've had a friend who just posts how miserable their life is that's all the true time, too. that's no fun. Yeah. So... It's an interesting question. How do you present, how do you engage in social media in a way that presents a healthy vision of life? Not one that is exceptionally happy and not one that's exceptionally depressing. Or how do you find that balance? I guess it's just show pictures of, you know, just make it a, a spectrum. You have great days, you have not so great days. Yeah. Maybe it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Or don't use it. Or don't. That's yeah. I've, I've come to that Which point. Which is right now too. I just I'm just done. All right. Well, anything else you want to say about fame? Uh, no. 
I still want to be famous. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you want to be famous, be famous. Like, do the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thanks. <laughs> I think that under that aspiration, you really want to do things that are healthy with achieving fame. Like, you want to shine the light on other people mm-hmm. and bring them into a conversation, which I think is good. Yeah, I mean, right now I want to take other people's stories and share them with a boatload of people. Which is not cool. not really my own. So yeah, but I'm, don't give me too much credit. There's a part of me who just wants to feel better than other people. You said it, not me. Yep, and revenge definitely. <laughs> there's there's a faculty meeting or two I'd love to show up with and have everyone be like, "Wow, it's Rob. Remember when we were such jerks to him? Well, we were so wrong." That's what I want. Really? Oh, yeah. That's never on my radar. Well, people haven't been jerks to you then, maybe. They have been, but I don't care about them. Oh. They just don't get any, you know, no zero effort comes from me in that case. And if they don't need it, then it all works out. Well, that works nicely into something that's not the what blew me away, but is right next to it in my... I have a list of things I want to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malachi, Malachi... How do you the say land it? of Hachi Malachi? Malachi McCourt once said, resentment is like taking poison and wa- waiting for the other person to die. Mm. So there you go. That's that's what I'm doing. I feel I'm, like I've seen this in an interaction that involved Iocane powder. Oh. <laughs> Don't worry. It's a reference to Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I forget how that panned out. The guy died. The guy died, but... Okay, well, you'll have to remind me of that later. Every time I watch that scene, I'm like, I know the dude... I know the funny dude dies, who I really like, but I can't remember... Both drinks had Iocane powder in, but one guy had built up an immunity to it, or resistance to it, and the other one did not. Yeah, that's why I can't remember, because it's kind of a semi-ridiculous plot there. (laughs) All right, well, the thing... I wouldn't say that blew me away, but that struck me, I'll say, is the term latrophobia... Hmm. Have you ever heard that before? I have not. That is fear of the healer. What? And it's kind of a relevant phobia these days because of fear of vaccines, fear of doctors. But there's an actual like issue with this where you know people go to the doctor and they don't want to tell them what's really wrong, mm. or they're they're worried about you know going to the doctor and. And I can see how if you're intimidated by doctors in general, you know, maybe you see them as like these elite superhumans that you could be afraid of them and afraid of their judgment. So, so is it it's a, an interesting it's idea. It's a fear of the person who is providing assistance? Yes. Oh, wow. It's a fear of the person who's supposed to be healing you. Huh. Yeah. Latrophobia. And it's a real thing and it's a problem for doctors and that's why I hold doctors in no higher esteem than most other people. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry doctors. I'm sure you're good people, but uh to me you're you're just like everybody else. <laughs> and I am not afraid to be critical of what you have to say. At the same time, I'm not going on WebMD and documenting myself or <laughs> anything like that. 
<laughs> I respect that you're experts, and so I will give you that credit. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyway, anything that particularly blew you away? You know, I had something this morning that I thought about, and it was while I was still, I think, not quite lucid, and it's been eluding me ever since. But I have a little bit of a gripe. And it happens every year when we get the first snowfall that hangs around for a few days. Uh-huh. And I'm constantly blown away by how quickly people forget where the lines are on the oh, roads. Oh, I know. <laughs> like you've been driving on these roads for at least half of the year with no problem, right. conceivably. And then as soon as the snow falls and it's hard to see the lines, people are like, I'm going to drive wherever I want. And it becomes this democratic process now right. where you're like, I know I'm halfway into oncoming lanes, but that's where the tracks are. <laughs> and I know that I am not lined up at the right spot at this intersection, but it seems it's an interesting element of peer pressure. Right. <laughs> where you're like, I get, what should I do? Should I follow in the tracks? And then I'm going to throw off the people who, I mean, then I'm going to be in the wrong area or do I go where I know it is, but then buck the crowd and now i throw off all these other people for a short amount of time there's always this drama that unfolds mm -hmm. i was driving across town and so i was on it's not necessarily a freeway but a highway that just mm -hmm. goes over half of town and the lines where early drivers had driven wasn't quite you know using the potential of the width of the road mm -hmm. so i thought that i was gonna drive where there was still a little bit of snow but it was warm enough that there was slush uh -huh. as soon as i left the tracks mm -hmm. my truck was like nope we're not we're not driving safely anymore <laughs> right <laughs> i was like oh i guess i better stay in in the lane that's already there it's an interesting social phenomenon <laughs> where somehow we're all locked into what the idiots in front of us thought the lane was and they're wrong and then you get the other idiots who decide that they're going to try and pass you because technically there are two lanes there but they're all thrown off because of right. the, the peer pressure lane or whatever you want to call it. I had actually one winter I was driving across town on Farmer's Loop. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those snowfalls where it has only left people with one lane to drive on. Because oh. it's too much snow for both mm -hmm. lanes to just clear as traffic is blowing by. Uh -huh. And nothing had come to plow yet. And so there was one lane that was clear... And then there was a lane of snow and jerks drive in the lane of snow and then throw mm, a bunch of snow on everybody mm. that's behind them and nobody can see. So what happened was I was driving and there was somebody who just had to go faster than I was going and went into that lane full of snow to pass me. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh man, I'm not going to be able to see as mm -hmm. soon as they get back in front of me. But they totally disappeared. And what happened was there was so much snow it had sucked them across all the lanes of traffic <sighs> into the opposite side of the road oh into my the gosh yeah into the shoulder and i was like oh that's so <laughs> that's satisfying really unexpected i want that every time somebody no. tries to pass me in crazy on a snowy day oh they're such idiots i was so thankful there was no traffic yes, coming that's the opposite great. direction i'm so glad no one was hurt yeah but they totally deserve that <laughs> well i want to try and coin the the term fool's lane the fool's lane that's the lane that has created in the snow, the, the two-track lane that's created by some moron who doesn't really know where the lane is, <laughs> and everyone else has to follow, like fool's gold. 
It okay. looks like the real lane, but it's not. <laughs> Do you have a better term for it? I'm not. I don't have anything in my head right now. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just hate when it happens. We'll call that the fool's lane. <laughs> All right. So that's your grape. Yeah. I, right. it's it does blow me away and it happens every year yep yeah and then it will stay for quite a while until they get around to plowing Ugh. yeah yeah welcome oh. to winter welcome to winter in fairbanks the fool's lane yeah all right well what would you like to talk about next week Kristen? i couldn't come up with anything Yay! better <laughs> the whole time we were talking off the record Kristen and i had a debate she couldn't think about anything that she wanted to do so i was, I was heartily distracted. recommending a discussion of the what some call i gen or i generation which is the internet generation which is technically gen z yes the i'm reading a book where this woman is desperately trying to get people to call it iGen because she claims she's the first one who came up with it. Is there a, a note of desperation in this book? Does it seem like that? There's there's a note where I almost put the book away where she says, you know, all these arguments for why, you know, people have endorsed the term iGen. And then she says, as far as I know, I'm the first one who ever used it. Hmm. I'm like, I don't like that. That's kind of irritating. And... <laughs> B, as far as I know, like, don't, no, do some research. You know, I can't imagine you were the very first person. In in what context? Like, I was the first person to write a book where I called it that. I was the first person online to call it the iGeneration. In my mind, iGen would technically start when everything was i, whatever the thing was. Like, the iPhone was launched. What was that, 2007? Yeah, very good, 2007. Okay. So... That's that's where I would think everything would start there because there was a lot of that <laughs> branding that just started with the letter I, and I'm glad that we're out of that phase. Well, of according to technology. her, the I stands for internet. So when she refers to the I generation, she refers to the first generation that can't remember a time before there was the internet, and that's why she puts it roughly, I think, between '95 and 2010. '95. Yeah. Because that's when the internet really kicked in. The World Wide Web, I should say. Interesting. So that's way earlier than I would have. Me too. Yeah. yeah. But it makes sense. I mean, these are kids who at 12, the iPhone was invented. Yeah. So 95, I turned 20. 95, I was 18. Wait, was I 20? Yeah, what was it like when you were a kid? What? What? Everybody what toys did to, you play with? To school in the snow. With Tell me feet. about when you were a kid, Kristen. <laughs> Let me learn from your wisdom. Oh gosh, you were born like two years of seventy-five, <laughs> but you remember the seventies. I, I remember if, the seventies. I don't know if I do. I don't. I can't. I would have. I was three years old. So. I remember when Fame was a television show. I remember it coming wow. on TV and you watching remember it. Remember the seventies? Yes. Wow. What were the seventies like? They were awesome. No, they weren't. They were one of the worst decades in American modern history. But if you were a kid, really, they were kind of awesome. That's true. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because I, my only real gauge of what the 70s were like was television. Yeah. I wasn't in school yet, really. And so it was just what was on TV. There was some cool stuff on TV. Yeah. So you have to watch MASH and Star Trek and Fame. Okay. <laughs> well, it's conversations like this that we're going to have 
Next time, thanks to Kristen not having a better idea. <laughs> I'll take We're going to talk about, and I don't, I guess I'll just give it more plug, the I generation. You know, the more you say it, the more credibility. The more, it's like Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. <laughs> and can you tell me who's the author? Jean, oh, Twenge? Something like that. It's a, it's a challenging last name to pronounce. Yes, it is. So far, it's been a pretty interesting book. I got it from the library. <laughs> Support your local Support library. Support your local library. <laughs> I generation next time on the Insta podcast. Kristen, thanks so much for coming by on this snowy, slippery day. Thanks, Rob. Also, you didn't plow your driveway. I tried to. No, you didn't. But, but I just ended up pushing. I tried using my snowblower, but it was oh. so wet yeah. that I just ended up pushing all the snow into a sort of boulder, mm. which I then just had to pick up and throw off the side. <laughs> <laughs> and I broke a shear bolt on my snowblower. Oh no! Which isn't a big deal. I have more, but I was like, ah, this is not plow or snowblowable. So okay, I'm sorry. Snowblower. I tried, but it's not snowblowable weather. <laughs>Thanks for listening to the In Stuff podcast. If you'd like to join the discussion or see links to the things we referenced in today's episode, feel free to pop on over to instuffpodcast.com. That's the letter N, stuffpodcast.com. If you're enjoying the InStuff podcast, check out my other podcast, Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska. In each episode, we share amazing true stories from Alaska told by the Alaskans who experienced them. The New York Times recently called Dark Winter Nights the best winter podcast for storytelling lovers. Check out Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, wherever you get your podcasts or at darkwinternights.com. The InStuff podcast is sponsored by ScratchBand. Just stop touching your face. Don't make me explain why anymore. It's gross. I don't care if you buy ScratchBand or come up with some other way to do it, but just quit. I mean... It's the easiest way I've found to quit touching my face, but, you know, whatever works for you. Scratchband, join the evolution. More information at scratchband.life, also available on amazon.com.